It was all a pipe dream Watching bodyboarding up on TV Deep at reef, watching tension repeats Eating bakery feeds at 18 Living the dream with no sunscreen Yeah, we were so keen Surfing Aussie pipe, buying Riptide Eating shit pies, maybe get Hey, welcome to the Riptide Bodyboarding Podcast The home of bodyboarding Thank you for joining us on episode 19 of our Verbal Journaling And I'm your host, Luke O'Connor Well, today... As you know, we do on the Riptide podcast. Always, we have a solid lineup of guests, and this guest today is at top of the ranks. The man has conquered some of the largest waves on the Australian seaboard, and yet the world. He can move in positions like not many other bodyboarders can. He's been through painstaking uh, lows and incredible highs over his career as a bodyboarder and as a yoga instructor, uh, dabbles a little bit of jiu-jitsu and was one of the main stars in The Three Amigos. He needs no further introduction. I'm obviously talking to Louis Finnegan. How are you, bruv? I'm good, bro, and that was one hell of an intro. Thank you for the kind words. Easy to do so, easy to do so. So um, let us know where you are at the moment, man, because obviously you're jet-setting around the world and you've been following the IBC World Tour. Where are you? Where are you currently situated? Yeah, so I can't, I'm currently in the Canary Islands. I arrived here yesterday after being in Portugal for about a month. Um, I went to Portugal to compete in the Sintra comp, which was pretty good times with the boys as always, but obviously it's never really phenomenal waves at Sintra. But, um, yeah, so I've been having a sick time in Europe so far, and now it's time for some, for some real slabs in the Canaries. So, yeah, frothing it. Skits, man. When did you get over to the Canaries? Just yesterday, bro. So I've already surfed uh, Fronton yesterday, Arvo, which was pretty onshore and small. But even when it's a crap forecast at Fronton, you can still get some pretty good bowls. So, yeah, been fun. Sick. And how does the forecast look for the comp coming up? Bro, it looks good. It's like pretty big swell it's going to be maybe six to eight foot by the by the forecast but um the only issue is that the tides are pretty small so when it's that big and the tides aren't super high it's going to be like not many heats being able to get run with good tides before it gets too low so i don't know what they're going to do um but you know besides the tides not being big the wind is like light offshore and the swell direction is perfect so it's nearly there. It's like nearly an all-time forecast, but we'll see what happens. So what you're kind of telling me is that the swell's there, the wind's there, the tide is obviously, as you mentioned, too low, but it's going to make for one hell of a spectacle and you guys are going to be going below sea level mutant slabs by the sound of things. <laughs> Pretty much, bro. <laughs> That's epic. And this is... um. This is this is um, you've you've you surfed front on numerous times now. Hey man, can you could you give us a um, little description of of what the wave is 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 like, like left and right, and you know how you or like which ones you actually want to pick out there? For sure, um, I'm I'm pretty sure like everyone listening would have at least seen footage of front on before, but um, it's just like this big slab of volcanic rock that's super shallow. And it holds, like, you can start surfing it from, like, one foot on low tide and it's, like, a fun, wedgy little bowl left and right and you can surf it all the way up to, like, 10 to 12 foot. And, um, yeah, it's just this crazy, really powerful, wedgy slab that just has, like, infinite different faces depending on swell direction and the actual wave you ride. Like, you can get basically anything out there from a big, long, crazy right barrel to, like, a insane wedge just flying off the back on the left so yeah it's a pretty crazy spectacle to actually see in real life but um it's insane i reckon it's the best the best bodyboarding wave on the planet that i've been to Geez, that's a big call from you man looking over like lucid dreams and the three amigos and all the pride footage that comes out that's um that's a big call because you've surfed a lot of crazy waves and a lot of massive airs like to say that is Number one in your list obviously means it's um it's made for Bergen. For sure, bro. And just how high performance it can be, like both both directions have the biggest bowls, the biggest barrels. It's yeah, super high performance wave. And I can't really think of anything else that rivals it in terms of being able to do like every single 
trick both ways so consistently. Yeah, 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 true. And I know um, there's a – I haven't surfed it myself. Unfortunately, I haven't been to the Canary Islands, and obviously it's it's on the bucket list from from everyone's accounts. It's it, it's a marvellous place. But uh, I've heard the battle and the challenge even starts before you get – down and into the water, supposedly with the jump out when it's um size, it can be can be quite a challenge. Have you had a couple of moments there paddling out? Yeah, hundred percent. But paddling like paddling out is not too hard because you just got to run across maybe like ten to fifteen meters of reef, and then you can jump in the water. And then the all the waves and the kind of current on the inside sweeps you off the reef, so it's pretty sweet getting out, even if it's big. But the the bigger hurdle lies in trying to get in, like when it's big and especially high tide, it's basically just like three foot of whitewash just smashing up against the little cliff and all the all the whitewash is just like washing off the reef. So if you don't time it well, you just get washed off the reef again and it's super hard to get back onto it. So luckily there's like a little village you can paddle to like a couple hundred metres away, but... It's um I don't know it's one of those things like you don't want to be the person that paddles to the village like everyone wants to be the man by getting up the cliff so you you always feel a little bit of pressure like that you have to try to get up the cliff <laughs> for sure and there'd be full eyes on you looking down have you um have you ever stumbled at that hurdle trying to get in at the <laughs> at the finish line for sure bro plenty of times I'm like oh I'll give it a shot today and try to get in and when I get like through to the inside it's just chaos bro it's like man this is not worth like the juice is not worth the squeeze here like when you can just paddle a few hundred meters and you're safe or like basically risk your life trying to get up get up the cliff yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. you try and make lemonade out of lemons but sometimes the the glass of sweet cold lemonade just isn't um this isn't worth the skin getting taken <laughs> off huh exactly bro Okay, so what's the vibe over there um, like with the whole IBC, man? Because obviously from an Australian point of view, uh, myself personally, I've been quite impressed with the regime they've been running. Um, not to say it's like a dictatorship, but I mean the organisation itself has done really well with the uh, locations that they've chosen. Obviously, you know, it'd be great to have an Australian league, but uh, things starting up after COVID, it's just great to see things are moving along. The media coverage has been good. Um, we've seen some incredible riding and obviously the locations speak for themselves when you're when you're hitting those, those slabby bodyboarding waves. But what's the vibe over there right now, like as the lead up to the comp? Is there a tension in the air? Um, bro, it's pretty awesome to be honest. Like the scaffolding and like the building of the venue is not quite finished yet, but it's huge, bro. There's like a huge stage, like a massive kind of venue where you know it's going to be like super popping off with crowds and stuff. And um, yeah, like everyone's frothing. You go down, you go down and check the waves at any time of the day, and it's like howling on shore at the moment and two foot, but there's still like so many people out bodyboarding because everyone's just super fired up for the event. So pretty cool to see, you know. It's not every day that you see this much excitement in the bodyboarding community, so it's cool to be a part of that. Yeah, definitely. And do you feel like you get treated more like a rock star over there compared to just your your normal hometown vibes? (laughs) Um, I don't know if I feel rock star vibes, but... um, I don't know. I suppose because I've been here quite a few times, it's like I'm pretty good friends with all the locals now. So it's there's not so much like like there's not so many feelings of being famous or anything like that. It's more just like awesome to see all my friends over here again. Yeah, definitely. You're, you're traveling back to a familiar zone where you where you've been before, and it's not a crazy new experience you you know what you're going to expect to see, and 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 you've got obviously got a goal in sight and what you want to do um you know could you could you maybe elaborate on that on that goal like have you set yourself something for the for the comp to be like you know obviously coming back from such a severe injury man and, and COVID and all that kind of stuff and we'll touch on that injury path later but have, have you set yourself a goal for this comp and and what you want to achieve in the European league um to be honest bro not really because I didn't compete for like the whole start of this year like the first comp I did was Sintra so there's no real chance of me qualifying for the tour next year. So I'm just here for a good time, really. My my main objective with this Europe trip was actually just catching up with lots of my really good friends that live in Europe. So 
I've already achieved that. But um, in terms of the comp, I'm just like excited, I suppose, to showcase my abilities in hopefully some good waves. So obviously I'm going to try my best and do as well as I can, but I don't exactly feel any pressure at all to like uh, get a good result or anything like that. But hopefully that will come just from me trying to surf my best. That's so cool, man. You put yourself in a good place there because there's no added pressure. There's nothing on your shoulders saying that you must do X, Y, and Z. It's just free Zen thinking, good breathing, yoga routines, I'm sure, and then just getting in the water and going ham. Yeah, exactly, bro. It's a good good place to be. Yeah, it is, man. And so you're obviously in a really nice place now and, and you know, I can tell by – your voice and your calmness and, and everything that you're that you're content and, and happy. But you know, obviously over the last eighteen months, twenty four months, it's been it's been a wild ride, man. And I, I obviously know a little bit of um the insights into to injuries, but can you can you please just give the listeners at home uh, an understanding of what you've been through and maybe the timeline of your hip injury? For sure, bro. I'll give you a little lowdown. So about two years ago it was literally just a normal day. I went to the gym, legs in the gym. So I was doing squats and steps and stuff like that. And drove home. And when I stepped out of my car, like in my driveway, once I parked to go inside, I took a step out of the car and just felt like a really sharp pain in my left hip. And at the start, I didn't really think much of it. I was like, oh, that was sore, but, you know, I probably just pulled a muscle or something. So I go inside and ice it. And then over the next few weeks, it just got worse and worse and worse. And I developed this, like, really loud click in my left hip. Like, every time I moved my knee towards my chest, there's just, like, this huge bang in my hip. And because because I couldn't really stop that click from happening and it felt really swollen, it just, like, kept getting worse and worse. And over the course of literally like eight months to a year, I was seeing specialists, I was seeing doctors and like my hip was getting like worse and worse to the point where I couldn't even walk without being in severe pain. So I basically had to halt like my entire life because it revolves around obviously yoga, Pilates and bodyboarding. So all of those things I couldn't do at all anymore. And so my main mission was just getting to the bottom of my hip and after seeing like numerous different specialists, they all told me that I had a condition called hip dysplasia, which is basically like a deformity in your hip joint that you have basically since you're a baby, like your hips just don't form properly as you're growing as a baby. And so I have that in my in both my hips and that's why I ended up tearing the cartilage in my hip joint when I stepped out of the car. But all of the specialists were like, not wanting to perform any operation on my hip because of the hip dysplasia. They all told me like, I can go, I can go in there and I can stitch up the cartilage in your hip joint. But because you have this hip dysplasia problem, you're going to end up re-tearing the cartilage in like the next year and coming back to see me again in pain. So I kept on asking him like, well, what can I do? Because at the moment I'm like completely fucked. I can't do anything. And three of them told me like, or you're just going to have to try and manage. And I was like, bro, I, I can't manage this. Like, this is like literally. How is that an answer, man? Like, sorry to interrupt you, but how is that an answer? Yeah, it was like, it was really frustrating, bro. And that's like probably mentally when I was at like my worst because I'd get home after these appointments with the specialist and I was like just sitting in my backyard thinking, thinking about my future. Like, fuck, I've seen like everyone I can here. And there's no answer to this problem. So I guess I'm going to have to like forge a different future for myself that doesn't involve any exercise because I can't walk without being in crazy pain. So what am I going to do with my life kind of thing? And that's when things got like pretty dark for me for about six months or so, just like pondering life every day, like what the fuck am I going to do with myself? And then I ended up finding like one more hip specialist in Perth who specialises in a surgery called a, peri- a periacetabular or something like that. Sorry, sorry, Louis. Just sorry, my bro. Like, I, I you just bro- broke up. Um, un- unfortunately, went robot. Like when you were explaining. 
um, that uh, that um, diagnosis. And I just want to let let the listeners know in between that we are broadcasting from Australia all the way to Grand Canary, and the Wi-Fi reception can be a little bit dodgy at times. So um, if you do hear it drop in and out of the podcast every now and again, we do apologise. I just want to get back to that. Um, back to that combo, Lou. So you were you were saying about your diagnosis with that last hip specialist you saw? Yeah. So like my last ditch effort basically was to make an appointment with this surgeon who specializes in a surgery called a periacetabular osteotomy. And this surgery is like super new. It's only been getting done by him for like five or six years now. And it's basically to fix hip dysplasia. And so I went and saw him. And I was kind of just like, at this stage, fingers crossed, like, this is my last, like, if this doesn't work out, then I have nowhere else to try and turn to to fix this problem. And when I go in and see him, like, straight away, he was like, bro, I'm like, this surgery that I can do for you is going to fix you. And I was like, well, what is it that you do? And he's walking me through through the procedure and telling me how he's going to, like, saw my pelvis into different parts so he can realign my hip and screw it back in place in like different alignments so that it fixes the problem. And I was pretty wigged out. I was like, bro, this is like hardcore. And he's like, no, nah, it's sweet because like I won't be detaching any muscles or cutting through any tendons or anything. It's literally just cutting through bone. So you'll heal actually a lot quicker than if we we're doing like stuff to your soft and connective tissues. And so well, that sounds was, all well and good, man. But like, let's just saw through your bones. That sounds almost like a horror movie. Did you have to take a bit of time to think this through and 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 look at your other options? Well, I guess there probably wasn't any other options, was there? Well, yeah, there weren't any other options. But in this same appointment, he could see that I was like on the fence, but I was pretty hesitant to actually commit to such a big operation. So he was like, "Oh, how about you talk to some of the people that are in here now that have already had the." operation because there were people like in the waiting room that were going for their like follow-up checkups at like three months post-surgery and six months post-surgery and stuff so he took me out into the waiting room and he he personally knows like all the people he performs his operation on obviously so he like calls all these people over to like come and chat to me and these people were young people like my age or even younger like one of them was a dancer one of them was an actor the guy was a soccer player And they're all telling me, like, they have such similar stories to what my story is. And they were like, bro, you have to get this surgery. Like, it's completely fixed me. And then I turned to someone else and they're like, yeah, like, I'm fully better. I had the exact same thing as you and I'm good to go. And so after, like, speaking to those few people in the room, it was like, that was the final thing that sold me on it. And I was like, all right, sweet, let's do it. So I literally booked the surgery that day for, like, this was just before Christmas, so I booked the surgery for, like, after Christmas and New Year's. And, yeah, that's basically it, bro. And then I don't know if you want me to, like, go into detail about, like, the whole surgery and recovery and stuff like that. Oh, dude, I think people just need to go to your Instagram and just look over the photos you placed up, maybe 15 or 20 posts down in regards to the, I would have to say, 10 to 15 centimetre long it, they almost look like timber screws that that joined <laughs> your, your your hip bones together. Like it looked like you'd just been you'd been drilled in like with a Makita, like a Makita drill. And I was just like, oh my god! And the way they sit in your hand in the photo just demonstrates to people how long and large they are. Like it's it's incredible. Yeah, it's insane, bro. And like, yeah. So I was in surgery. I was in hospital. Sorry for about four days, and then after that, just on crutches and they sent me home but it was super gnarly because for at least a few months like because it was only five screws holding like the whole left side of the pelvis in place, every time I put a bit of weight through my left leg I would hear like where the bones were touching and my pelvis would start to like grind mm. against each other and so there was all this popping mm. and cracking in my hip and I just feel bones just like cracking against each other and it's like the most awful feeling so for months bro I was just like it was the most delicate I've ever felt in my body just didn't even want to move didn't want to roll over in bed it was just it's horrible bro could, could you do any sort of yoga or mobility work during this time like I know you couldn't do weight bearing stuff but were you still trying to keep as active as possible to keep yourself in a 
in a sane state, like get a bit of dopamine going or get any sort of flexibility or rehab going just to smooth the process over as best as you could? Um, well, yeah, that was the mindset I was in, but the first, like the first month pro was just like, I was so fragile. Like I didn't want to do anything. So I was just the first little rehabilitation exercise I was doing was just lying on my back and then sliding my foot up towards my bum and then sliding my leg long again. And that was like basically all I could do. And even that was pretty painful. Wow. And did you have to take any pain medication for this during the the course of your rehab? Yeah, absolutely, bro. I was on a pain med called Tepentadol, which is like pretty strong. I don't think it's anything too crazy, but um yeah, I was I was popping one or two of them a day for a few weeks and that was helping quite a lot. Yeah, hectic. Yeah, yeah. And was it um was it quite easy to get off them because I know a lot of sports stars and, and, and actors and, and, and just athletes in general. I don't know why if there are actors in there. I think they just pop them anyway because they enjoy them. But people <laughs> that are recovering from like, you know, real, um, real gnarly injuries sometimes do get, uh, do get hooked to them. You know, I was only listening to a podcast the other day in regards to Kobe Abaddon, who's obviously not um, my favourite bloke and obviously he's probably not the bodyboarding community's favorite fella either in regards to the way he treats boogs but an example being that he had a pretty gnarly injury and he got hooked on um the oxycontin and really derailed him there for a bit was there any sort of um sense there at any stage where you're like oh i could just keep taking these and this could just be a happy ride um yeah i definitely agree with you like i've heard of heaps of people getting kind of hooked on it but for me bro it was like super easy hey because i was just taking them when I felt like I needed to because the pain was like unbearable. So as soon as I healed up enough that the pain wasn't bad, like I really didn't want to take them. But I suppose that's because for me, like I really value being sharp in my mind and being sober. I don't know if like other people's mindsets are different and they are looking for some kind of mental escape. But for me, I was like really happy to not take them anymore because then, you know, I felt completely sharp in my mind. For sure. And how do you keep yourself so sharp in your mind? Obviously, you practice yoga and Pilates like a madman, but um, and you can tell by your physique, man, because lately you've come back bigger and stronger than ever. But do you do any breath work or meditation to keep um, your mind on track and focus? For sure. And especially at that stage when I was still recovering and not able to do much, I was just doing heaps and heaps of breath work and apnea training in my bed. So for months on end every day, I was just like trying to increase my breath hold and like, doing lots of cool different breathing exercises. So that was definitely helping with the mindset. What was your favorite breathing exercise? Um, have you heard of O2 tables and CO2 tables in like the freediving world and apnea training? I, I have not, no. Yeah, it's basically like two different ways to increase your breath hold. Like an O2 table is like learning, like teaching your body to be able to like slow slow down enough that it can like um not absorb so much oxygen so quickly so that your breath hold can last longer and then the co2 tables is to for your body to learn how to adapt to like a build up of co2 in your blood and so you can kind of you can kind of work on these two different sides of your breath hold with like different breathing techniques so i just like one day i'll do an o2 table the next day i'll do a co2 table and like each week or each two weeks, I would just like increase the numbers in the table to like stretch it further and further out. And like by the end of a few months, I got my breath hold over five minutes, which is pretty sick. That's insane, man. So you were just laying down in your bed and you could easily exhale and just have an empty set of lungs with no oxygen in them and holding on for five minutes. For the, so for like the big breath holds, it would be with, air in my lungs so i'd like take a huge breath in and then hold but um yeah five minutes like 515 was my record that's epic man obviously that's gonna serve you really well when you get back down the right next for sure yeah I, i mean it's like a little bit of a different ball game when you incorporate like movement and like trying to stay calm when you're in a scary situation but for sure it helps and just knowing that i'm like capable of holding my breath for like multiple minutes it's definitely like a bit of confidence for surfing big yeah, waves sure. knowing you that find, I have um, that. 
Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just saying, do you feel like you have the the mental capacity, knowing that you've uh, well, the mental capacity to, to you know to take on such uh, life defying waves, I guess, in 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 relation to the training and all the um, all the processes you've you've put in place to get you there. Like you know, we had Antonio Cardoso on the podcast last week, and. He stated um, a really true fact, which resonated back with me throughout the last week, and I, I keep thinking about it. And it's you know it's so true, and you see it in every sport, and obviously every high level athlete, to some degree, does it. And obviously, some do it better than others. But the training and the prep work and the the um, the mental clarity that you can gain from those, and then obviously the physical attributes. But you know, do you feel like? doing all those putting all those steps in place does that set you up to just be you know at your peak performance like is 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 that something you need to do to feel comfortable in those hectic situations it definitely helps with my own confidence with my abilities and how i feel about what i'm what i'm able to achieve in big waves and stuff but i think at the end of the day like there's not many people in the world that are just 100% confident that nothing's ever going to go wrong in big waves because they've done like breath training and stuff like that there's still like a huge element of the unknown so as much as it's definitely helped me with my confidence there's always still doubts that you know almost everyone on the planet feels when they're going into a big scary session in the ocean there's a big element of the unknown so I still have fears about it all for sure but um all these steps I've taken, like the yoga and the breath work and being fit, definitely helps. What are your greatest fears in the ocean, Louis? That's a good question. I would say the top of my fears is maybe sharks. Um, I guess because where I live in Western Australia, it is actually a factor, like it is a real danger. I don't know how how likely or unlikely it is to happen. It seems like pretty random like places and times that it has happened in the past. So I guess you never know if it's going to happen to you or not, but that to me is my biggest fear, which is a bit frustrating. But in terms of waves, like I'm probably more scared of getting smashed against reef instead of actually drowning, but it just changes from wave to wave. Like if I'm surfing the right in a big gnarly session, then, I would definitely be a bit more scared of the hold down rather than hitting the bottom. But then if I'm surfing something like Cyclops or like some crazy shallow slab, then my fears lie in hitting the bottom and not like drowning. Yeah, and they've got barnacles the size of your middle finger just sticking up at your stare and staring into those beady eyes as you're just like going white coming down the face and it's like at any moment they could just rip and tear shreds of skin off you. I, I totally, totally get you there, man. With um with the sharks thing, you know, like it it, it is it is a prevalent um, thought in a lot of uh, water enthusiasts' mind, you know, in in regards to the locations they visit, and obviously a lot of the slabs in regards to the bodyboarding world are located in places that are highly infested with sharks. Um, have you ever had any sort of moments, Louis, that have really solidified those those fears and you're just going well yeah okay this is this really could be a moment here um yeah like I have had a few experiences in like my entire life the some of the craziest like one one I had when I was towing a beachy near my house with Davis Blackwell with wingers and I was just wingers shout out the wingers (laughs) shout out wingers um I was (laughs) I was getting towed like back down the beach to then turn around and wait for another wave to kind of link up with the guy who was filming. And as, as like wingers try to fling me around to turn the ski around, I let go of the rope. So I was just kind of like in the water and he had driven off like another 15, 20 meters. And he, as he was turning the ski around, there was like this massive shark bigger than the ski swimming towards me. And, um, oh. So, like, I'm just bobbing in the water and I see Wingers just bang it over to me and he's like, oh, jump on the ski, jump on the ski, there's a shark. And I go to jump on the ski and, like, he takes off and I miss the ski. <laughs> and so, no. I, yeah, so I grab, like, halfway down the tow rope and I'm just holding onto the rope 
and he's still driving and I'm like just getting trolled in the water behind the ski and I'm screaming at him like stop stop like I need to get on the ski and after like 10 seconds he stops and I quickly get onto the ski but it was just like such a scary 10 seconds just knowing like he was like white in the face like screaming shark and then I'm just like getting pulled behind in the water for like that 10 seconds I was just thinking in my mind like please don't get attacked please don't get attacked <laughs> oh man little's as wingers know he actually had you as live bait there for a bit eh? like that's <laughs> yeah. that's almost a full horror movie did um did did you, do you guys see the shark again or did you call it quits for the session um so we kind of freaked out when I got back on ski and like went into the beach but then after like a few minutes we were both like fuck we should go and look for the shark so we went back out and like drove around but we ne- we never saw it they're such um stealthy stealthy predators, eh? Like they'll only let you see them when they really want, and and the, the way they cruise around. Like, have you seen? Um, you know, I don't want to freak anyone anyone out out there listening. And you know, obviously, uh, I'm the first to admit that there's certain waves, uh, even around home here in Sydney that I surf and think about sharks regularly. But have you seen that drone footage that comes out of California? I think he's a local fella from malibu i'm pretty sure and uh i can't remember his name so i i i, I do um I'll, I'll have to look that up and put in the notes of this podcast but some of the footage that he gets of these juvenile whites and, and great whites that are cruising up and around the coast there and how and how how placid they are when they come within literal five meters of swimmers just um cruising in the shoreline there like it just shows that you know obviously there is that element of danger, and, and when they're hungry, they 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 will try and eat you. But um, how how have, how often we we do come in contact with them, and how they're just part of the ecosystem, and we're just in their territory, and it's just um, it's just a full another day for them. For sure, yeah, and that's like that's kind of the thing that scares me when I think about it because I know in my life of like bodyboarding for geez, I don't even know how long now, like 15 or 16 years, like 100% I've come into very close contact with like a lot of sharks. For sure. Like, you know, surfing, even I feel like I've only been to WA four times and I wish it was, you know, like plenty more. I wish it was in the tens of tens of thousands really because it's such an, an, an amazing coastline and you guys live in such a raw incredible place um in the world like on a floating desert island you get copped so many massive storms you get battered by the roaring 40s and you've got so many different slabs and beaches and, and reefs it's it's so epic but you know one of the the sharkiest moments i've had and feelings anyway is going to surf the box um at margaret river there in the front of that that river mouth like that to me just seems like a prime location of of shark time you know 100 percent. and that's funny you say that because that's one of the other few places i've had a shark encounter and it was with Bullshit. a great one. what happened in this time um so it was basically the best box ever it was completely pumping this one day and there was maybe like 15 15 of us out surfing and there was a there was a pretty long lull, so we're all just sitting there bobbing around. And then maybe like fifty to a hundred meters out the back, we just see this huge great white launch out of water, like literally like National Geographic shit, just launching into the air. And we <laughs> all we all just started screaming and we like huddled together into a group. And then after like 10 seconds of that, we were all just like, nah, fuck this, I'm going in. So we all just started scrambling over the reef to get in. <laughs> oh, bro, I don't, I don't blame you. I'd be, I'd be um, bus driving over three-foot-high boulders to get in there. Like, that's just, yeah, it's fully not on. And I guess, really, we've only got ourselves to blame because, obviously, box is an amazing wave and you'd go out and surf it 10 out of 10 times and, and try and put the sharks at the back of your mind. But you are walking into, you know, a perfect nightmare really because you've got a river outlet you've 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 got one of the sharkiest places in australia surfing on dawn or dusk you know a lot of those sessions do occur like early in the morning or later in the arvo like it's you know what i mean it's just kind of a recipe for disaster sometimes yeah well they're definitely out there 
And like you said, it's just like trying to put it in the back of your mind is like the challenge for sure. For sure. And I think that's just a challenge we've got to face every day as watermen and just, you know, it's almost like driving on the road. You can't control anyone else driving a car around you. you just got to, um, you know, keep your keep your um, eyes alerted and, and, and just make sure that you're doing your, your best. But um, talking about, you know, wild locations and, and open oceans and, and possibly more sharks, but we'll, we'll, we'll leave that topic because I'm sure we'll be freaking a fair few people out and they'll, <laughs> we, we, we want people to be actually bodyboarding, not like leaving the water. Um, you recently went on an amazing trip down to South Australia with um, two of your best buddies. Obviously, you guys make up the three amigos, George Humphreys, Davis Blackwell and yourself, and you guys competed, c- completed um, probably one of the better desert trips we've seen in a while for um, a riptide experiment, man. You know, can you, could you give us a little rundown on the, on the desert storm trip? For sure, bro. Yeah, it was so much fun. So basically how it all worked out was that me – George, Davis, and Stricko, the filmer, we were all in WA. And then Chase and T-Bone were coming from the East Coast and we were talking with each other for a while, just waiting for a good good window to go to South Oz. And then oh, we are actually in talks of like maybe going over east and like surfing the South Coast or just like keeping our eyes on all the swells around Australia. But as it happened, there was like a good window for South Oz. And so... We both decided just to meet meet in the middle and we met in South Oz and then, yeah, spent about two weeks just chasing waves up and down the coast in South Oz, having like a really sick time, just lighting fires every night, drinking plenty of beers and just having a really good boys trip in the desert. But, yeah, it was so much fun. Oh, man, it, it looked wild. I only came back from the premiere up at... Uh, the Goldie only um, as of the weekend and that's, yeah, we're recording on Wednesday, so it was about three or four days ago. Um, wild times, really cool to see the froth at Bergen alive and well on, on the East Coast. And I believe you guys had a premiere in Portugal at the Bodyboarding Centre? Yeah. yeah, correct. So Seb from Bodyboard Centre and also like my manager from Pride, he – He had organized to premiere the new um, South Africa Pride clip and one of my other friend Miguel Coelho's new clip. And so it just lined up perfectly with, yeah, shout out to Minnie as well. Um, Full shout out to Minnie, what a lord. (laughs) And so, yeah, I guess like the dates just worked out really well that the Riptide boys had finalized the clip just in time for when this premiere in Portugal was going to go down. So we just added it to the list of things that were premiering that night. And yeah, it's similar to what you just said. It was just really awesome to see like so many people come together for, for bodyboarding again and just to see like so much excitement it was really awesome. Yeah, it was, it was so nice, man. Like the prem up and um, up at Cabarita at the Burrows was, was also the same. It was, it was, uh, you know, epic big screen out the back, bar at the front, nice weather. Like there was a bit of rain later on in the evening, but we escaped everything, which was perfect. Good turnout. Everyone was rowdy, having fun. There was no issues. And then Elliot and Elliot, Elliot Williams, Elliot Butler put on um, a uh, penthouse back at Cooley. And, uh, or not oh, penthouse God. Such, but yeah, it felt like one. It was just so, so epic to go back to you know, a, a, a sweet after party, relive those um, those peak Bergen times and, and hopefully we're on like a we're on a full up, you know what I mean, like a full bull yeah. rush. It, it was so cool to see and, and you know, like I, I just want to go back to um, the trip in uh, South Oz, like, you know, the actual feel of it. Did, did it feel like the old times, man? Did, did it feel like, you know, you were, you were back on um, back on those like younger journeys and everything was just mystical and, there was a bit of, um, yeah, there was a bit of uncertainty about it. Bro, yeah, it felt so awesome, hey. Like, it really it really brought me back to my roots of why I love bodyboarding so much. It's like when I, because I hadn't done a trip, obviously, because of my hip injury in years. So with that much time, like, passing and not having any really good surfs or anything like that, it kind of made me question like, oh, like, do I still love bodyboarding or am I ready to like kind of move on and go down some other paths? And then I do this South Oz trip with the boys and realize that like bodyboarding in my life anyway is just 
so good, bro. It's like what brings the most to me. So it's just really refreshing to just realize that once again, that bodyboarding is just so awesome if you if you do it the right way and just go have fun with your friends and live it up. Yeah, and obviously you'd had such a time off Bergen, man, like, and that was one of your main first trips back. Like, did it did it full feel nostalgic? Like, was it just like, oh, my goodness. As you were saying before, like, you know, when, when you described underneath the stars and throwing the swags out, like, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with South Australia and, and the time you can have down there because it is freedom and, you know, you're just worrying about your waves, hanging out with your mates and just when you're going to get your next feet, which is so simplistic and so... So healthy. For sure, yeah. Just like also the whole getting away from technology as well, as cliche as it sounds, I think it's like a real power to that, to actually just like spend time with like your friends around you and not have any distractions and, yeah, so many good times comes out of that. Yeah, definitely. And spending it with obviously um, George and, and Davis, man, like they were up for the pram. Um, they flew from WA and, and, and we obviously had a huge night. And I'm pretty sure Elliot and the boys um, continued on into Sunday and into Monday. Josh DeBone came up. He was also part of it. There was a couple of casino runs. There was a whole um, range of shenanigans. And it, it, like on a personal one for me, it was so good to catch up with um so good to catch up with George, so good to catch up with Davis. They're such, you know, down-to-earth, eccentric fellas that are just fucking legends, man. And, and you know, I just could only imagine the time you guys had on that trip and just re- reuniting almost like three Amigo vibes. Yeah, 100%. Um, but, yeah, like what, like the compliments you just gave to Davis and George, like almost everyone in bodyboarding is really awesome, bro. So... You know, if you just get a cool team of people together, I'm sure like anyone's going to have a great time with with anyone else in bodyboarding. Yeah, 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 definitely. We've got such a cool, tight community and, and obviously not just to focus on those two, like Chaso and Tabone and Stricko, as you were saying, and just yeah, anyone you meet down the road who's chasing it for the right reasons, um, there's something, you know, uniquely satisfying hanging out with a bunch of like-minded people who want to push the limits and just put themselves in extreme situations but also have fun in doing it you know like i don't think you guys realize when you look back on the waves and some of those in in um on that trip in desert storm that you know they're pretty life-threatening waves at times and you're a long way from home and a long way from a hospital but you're all doing it just for the camaraderie, the love and the good times, like it's 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 a pretty special thing. Like, you know, you flip it over to surfing. I know this was a, a trip organised by Riptide and you guys had, you know, in mind to make a movie, but it's also there just to have a good time. And I feel like that's been lost in surfing a little bit where our community being smaller and maybe less privileged at times still holds on to that because that's the true core, you know, that that that's the true essence of being a bodyboarder where – when you commercialise something with surfing, they're just going for certain lifestyle photos. They're going to get a certain shot and it's like, yeah, it's great to do that but you've got to enjoy the trip for what it is instead of just seeing it as a business venture. For sure, yeah. And like in surfing, if we compare it to bodyboarding, it's like most of the time the top surfers have a pretty huge financial incentive for the trip whereas bodyboarding, it's it all has to be for the love. There's not... There's not so much money like flowing around through the sport. So the reason the reasons that bodyboarders go on a trip is not to make money because we're not making money. So it's obviously just for the love of it and for the good times. Yeah, there's something very wholesome and something very satisfying about that, man. It's um, something you can, you know, hold dear to yourself and as, as you get old and look back on things and, and realise you did it truthfully, not just for the, for the big bucks or the Insta fame, you know. Yeah, exactly, bro. But um, I definitely want to speak to wingers. I'm going to give him a call maybe today or tomorrow and get the get the lowdown on the on the East Coast premiere when um when it, the conversation's not being recorded and see what what kind of chaos went down because it sounded like you guys had a pretty big weekend. So it'd be funny to hear the the inside scoop on that. Oh, dude, I, I was I only got probably like one third of it. I flew in on Saturday morning. 
at 6 a.m. Um, had a couple of flights delayed, but then got there around 9 or 10. Went up with Jackie Baker. Um, Jade Malcolm came up. Um, you know, we had a we had a red hot time. Lucas Herrera, and then we we all continued to keep drinking and 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 enjoying the night. And actually, we had a flight the next morning at 6 a.m. And the boys left for the casino at 4 a.m. Left us in the room. We just didn't sleep. We kept going. Got to the airport. Hopped on a plane home within like 24 hours. So it was a wild trip. And those boys continued on for another. 24 to 36. I'm not even, I might even say 48 hours. I think Elliot Williams was saying this morning on the phone that they didn't go to bed until Tuesday morning. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting combo with, with wingers. <laughs> Bro, that is wild. And yeah, I'm oh, pretty, pretty excited so to hear about it. Yeah, bloody oath, man. Bloody oath. Well, I, I don't want to keep you, um, too much longer, man, because I, I know you've, you've obviously got a, a, a schedule uphold over there and you want to get some time on the water for the comp. But I just, before you go, I've, I've got these five questions that I've been asking guests. Um, I just wonder if you sweet to partake. Of course, depending on what the questions are, but I trust that they're not too, too left of centre. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. They're, they're, they're definitely bodyboarding focus for sure. Brass <laughs> um, Crescent or Bat-tail? Crescent. Bang on. Uh, ramp or pit? Bro, that's such a hard question to answer in like such a broad way, but I would say pit. Bark, that's big coming from a Mandrew Wedge local. Yeah, but you know, fuck, it's hard, bro. It's hard, but I just think about getting like a massive barrel at the right and I don't think like the best bowl at Mandra Wedge compares to getting the best barrel at the right. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, dolphin cut fins or any other design fins? Dolphin cut, of course. <laughs> you, you are Australian, of course. Yes, I am Australian and I do like to try and cross <laughs> my legs when I spin. <laughs> um, beachy or reef? Ooh, another good question. Another one that's hard to answer, but I think surfing a really good beachy is a bit more special because you know it's not permanent. So I'll say beachy. Yeah, that's a, I haven't heard that one. That's a, that's a good explanation. Um, bicep or wrist leash? Bicep. I don't I really understand. It's like it seems like wearing wrist leashes is like seen as cool within some groups of bodyboarders, and to me, it's like. Having a big wipeout with a wrist leash on is just going to increase your chances of injury, I feel, like tearing your arm out of its socket or something. Yeah, and also, too, I, I've felt uh, or found, sorry, over my, my time riding a boog that when I did go and, and give those um, wrist leashes a go, that they, you know, as you said, they're, they're cool and they kind of felt all right, but... Man, they do not last as long. Like that, there's something about bicep leashes. I don't know where it's positioned on your arm, or like maybe there's more strength in them because there's more material. But they just seem to last so much longer than wrist leashes. Yeah. And did you also notice, or did you like feel that bicep leashes were less in the way of like your arms on your board and stuff, or was it sweet with oh, wrist leash? One hundred, one hundred percent, man. It felt like. It was only a tiny bit laying on the board and the rest of it was kind of coiled up underneath your leading arm up to your bicep. So it was kind of just, it was streamlined. Yeah. Mm. Oh, mate, you know, you could be talking about gear all day long, all the gear, <laughs> no idea, mate. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. All right, Braz. Well, I'll leave it on that note, man. I just want to thank you again for coming on the Riptide podcast. Um, you know, I hope you really do well over in Grand Canaria. Sounds like you're in an epic mind frame and um, I hope the waves pump. That forecast sounds amazing and get back safe and we'll, we'll see you back in Australia soon. Yeah, thanks, bro. And I appreciate you taking the time out of your day as well to um, to host this interview. So thank you. And um, yeah, make sure make sure you and all the people listening, if this is out before the comp is live next week to tune in because the forecast does look pretty amazing so it'll definitely be a spectacle to, to watch mate there'll be a couple of sleepers nights so let's, let's put it that way <laughs> <laughs> all right cheers louis keep well my bro sweet you too brother catch you later see you man bye
It was all a pipe dream, watching bodyboarding up on TV. Deep at reef, watching tension repeats, eating back.